Welcome to episode 34 of the PharmExec podcast. I'm Kristen Harm, associate editor of PharmExec magazine and our podcast host. PharmExec magazine is a multimedia publishing brand that brings you the latest commercial insights for the C-suite. So this week, pretty exciting stuff. We're happy to introduce you to not one, not two, but three experts in this episode. This will be our first discussion with three people at once, and we're really excited for what Cameron, Robin, and Sabrina have to share with you. So our guests today are Cameron Turtle, Chief Business Officer of Eidos Therapeutics, Robin Toft, Founder and CEO of the Toft Group Executive Search, and Sabrina Johnson, President and CEO of Dare Bioscience. And they're going to talk with us about the future of life sciences. So we will play the interview after this quick break. The latest issue of Pharmaceutical Executive is out now. This month's issue focuses on Pharma 50, our 19th annual listing of the top 50 biopharma companies. This year's report reveals some interesting maneuvering of ranks as companies focus on diversification, big brand expansions, and positioning a new wave of products to compete in an advancing but complex future treatment market. To read the full article, visit farmexec.com. everyone. Today, Lisa Henderson, our editorial director, and I will be conducting our first podcast with three experts to discuss the future of the life sciences executive. Joining us today is Cameron Turtle, Chief Business Officer of Idos Therapeutics, Robin Toft, Founder and CEO of the Toft Group Executive Search, and Sabrina Johnson, President and CEO of Dare Bioscience. So this is Lisa. Thank you all for joining us today. And I'm going to ask each of our guests to briefly introduce yourself and your roles, and then that will also give the audience a sense of who is speaking. Thanks, Lisa. This is uh, Cameron Turtle. I'm the Chief Business Officer at Eidos Therapeutics, which is a small public biotech company based in San Francisco, working on an investigational therapy for a cardiac uh, amyloidosis called transthyretin amyloidosis. And IDOS is a subsidiary of a, of a larger company called BridgeBio. So beyond my role at IDOS, I also get to help set up a number of other small biotech companies working on inherited diseases. Hi, my name is Robin Toft, and I'm CEO of Toft Group Executive Search. Toft Group is a top 50 retained executive search firm. We work nationally, placing VP through CEO and board level placements. And, you know, the emphasis since we created the company has been on life sciences and healthcare high-tech, laser-focused, and we had a huge um, orientation towards diversity since our inception. So um, historically and over the past three years, we've placed over 45% women, I believe last year, 48% women into executive-level roles in biotech, which is very difficult given that there's only 3% of us at the top. Hi, and I'm Sabrina Martucci-Johnson. I'm founder and CEO of Dare Bioscience. Um, Dare is focused solely and squarely on advancing innovation in women's health, uh, specifically across four therapeutic areas, contraception, sexual health, vaginal health, and fertility. And we're really looking to advance products that have an opportunity to improve treatment options, um, enhance choices, and outcomes for women. Excellent. Thank you all. So when we discuss the topic of 
um, the future of life sciences. Uh, interesting themes come to mind. Um, we've discussed in the in the pages of the magazine workforce readiness, um, especially with the coming data scientists crunch and big data. Um, of course, there's the HR component of diversity and um, mentorship, and you know there's a bunch of interesting. There's the um, you know the recruitment crises in the biotech um, hubs of Cambridge and such, but there's also maybe a talent crisis in biotech and research that might be unrecognized by executives. So, Robin, I'm wondering if you could discuss the trends that are creating that crisis. Absolutely. I think a lot of you are probably aware of the unprecedented level of investment in biotech and healthcare high tech over the past few years. So that has created a wealth of opportunity for all of us. Uh, however, at the same time, we're, um, baby boomers are retiring, and the generation behind us is not as large, and generation, uh, the millennial generation is just not ready for many of these roles that require highly skilled uh, um, executives. So candidates, for the first time in a long time, have become really hot property and it's a candidate-driven market probably for the next five to ten years. So companies need to learn how to make themselves attractive and sticky to the people they really want. And the available talent pools are, at this point in time, largely female and millennial, and half of millennials are female. So companies need to begin to um, develop programs for developing and accelerating people through their careers for the first time in a long time. Another theme, one that would seem to help this crisis, is looking for people that are maybe outside of the traditional mold. So, Cameron, can you maybe talk more about how you leverage the workforce comprised of high-achieving youth teamed up with industry veterans? Yeah, I think kind of building on what, what Robin just stated is that we have a little bit of a bimodal uh, distribution of age at the Bridge Bio companies. And that's, that's partially because we have a, a slightly different model where we, we create these small startup companies that are working on each individual disease area. And early on, we, of course, hire all the technical experts who tend to be quite senior folks who are experts in their areas, so medicinal chemists, the biology experts, DMPK scientists, et cetera, who are senior and, and know what they're doing at advancing these programs. But then one of our favorite kind of people to pair with that group of senior technical experts are young folks who have usually a, a, a well, they definitely have a scientific background, usually an MD or a PhD, uh, and then they've cut their teeth in some very demanding business environment. These are often people who are investors or, or investment bankers, consultants, research analysts, these type of institutions that are pretty fast-paced and hardcore business environments who then when we put them in our small biotechs, they're usually hungry, enthusiastic, and they're also asking to, they're willing to ask that naive question, or why do we do it this way, that can get our companies to think about things a little bit more differently and, uh, and sometimes come up with a, a quicker way of getting something done. And also to add on to that, uh, Sabrina, though women are by no means not a traditional mold per se, how have you specifically helped female executives achieve their next steps in the ladder? Yeah, thank you for asking. Um, as a female leader myself, I definitely feel a responsibility to help mentor and champion um, other female executives, and, and often that definitely includes traditional 
mentoring on career growth and often work-life balance, which is um, typically a, a challenge for many women. But it often also takes the form of working to create opportunities for women to step into a new role when perhaps they don't have all of the requisite um, requirements that have been um, defined for that role. And one example is certainly securing a public company board seat, which is often a, a goal for women that have advanced in leadership. Um, and and Dari is a publicly traded company, and as the CEO of the company and a member of the board, um, I definitely saw an opportunity to ensure qualified women were included in our board candidate pool, and that was definitely a goal. But we found that many women that otherwise met the matrix of board qualifications we established uh, in terms of leadership roles and other women's health companies or other life science companies were lacking in prior public company board experience. And this is actually often a prerequisite, prerequisite to serve on a public company board. And so we made a decision as a company to eliminate that catch-22. Because um, how can you get your first board seat if that's always a requirement? And so by removing that as a prerequisite for service on our board, it actually allowed us to recruit to our board extremely highly qualified executive women who would not have otherwise been eligible. And so I think one of the real opportunities we have in terms of helping female executives achieve the next steps in the ladder is sometimes removing some of those obstacles that are really not necessary but may have otherwise been there that could have could stand in their way just because those opportunities had not been made available to them in the past. Excellent. So with this larger pool of candidates and and looking outside the box and helping people work together or achieve, Robin, how can executives grow a vision toward the future? So life sciences companies are traditionally very purpose-driven, and that's a really good attractor of people. So remember, now you're in a competitive environment. Making a purpose-driven, people-first culture is really critical, and um, that starts with trust. So, you know, allowing your candidates, you know, assuming that you're hiring the right people, you have to work about, worry about them working too much, not not enough. So uh, determine a culture of trust where we actually allow flexibility of work hours and commuting, but we know that you are delivering on goals. They need to set up SMART goals that are measurable and um, ideally tied to compensation. And, you know, most people are not accustomed to managing that way unless they've been in a sales organization. We need to kind of um, apply that across a, an entire organization to really get the, the lift that these CEOs need. And then, you know, most importantly, I think having very clear career progression for the people that work there. The number one reason, in my experience, that people leave organizations is they don't have any career advancement opportunities. So just being very straightforward and clear with that, um, having a culture that is actually one of trust and that places people first will really allow that company to build to their vision to attract and retain amazing people, and to actually deliver on the promises that they've made to investors. So Robin just spoke about having a culture of trust, providing clear career progressions for your employees, and having um, straightforward, measurable goals as some of the things that life sciences executives can do to be the um, you know more progressive 
in the future. So, Sabrina, right. what so what would you suggest or what do you see are other skills or um, maybe uh, philosophies that would go around that? Well, definitely a culture of um, trust is really important. Um, I find executives really want to work in a workplace where they're valued, they're heard, and they're understood. And to that understood perspective, I think one of the most important things you can do to help someone really grow to their potential and, frankly, contribute as meaningfully as they can is really take the time to understand um, what their objectives are, uh, whatever those may be, whether it's objectives around a certain um, career advancement trajectory they want to be on or whether it's objectives around work-life balance. Maybe they have small children at school that they, um, you know, very much want to pick up every day or, you know, are managing those kind of household activities um, so really understanding what their um, objectives are, both professionally and personally, and then working to really create a, an environment in the workplace that embraces that because I think when you do find that balance for them and that uh, real understanding of what they're trying to do and you show your efforts as a leader of the company in trying to meet them and get them to where they want to be, just everything clicks, <laughs> um, you know, on a whole other level, and you really create an environment where people can advance to their greatest potential. Excellent. So as far as the types of people, employees, executives that you mm -hmm. like to surround yourself with or the types of people that enhance or your culture, what are you looking for? Yeah, so in terms of the types of people that I try to identify for the team, uh, they definitely need to be independent thinkers. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I think that's the best way you get diversity and great innovation, frankly, and diversity in ideas uh, that can spark innovation is by uh, attracting people to the team that um, are willing to, to think and have ideas and, importantly, put them forward. Um, that's a little bit of a catch-22 because you have to create an environment where people feel comfortable sharing their ideas, particularly ideas that may be, you know, really out of the box and outside of the norm. But I think if you create that kind of environment and you attract those people that um, want to um, think, want to have that responsibility uh, in a functional area for having to bring, you know, ideas to the table, you can really create an environment um, that really enhances innovation and enhances opportunities to, you know, maybe innovate in an area where people haven't innovated before, whether that's in our therapeutic area, whether that's in clinical trial design or an indication that someone wants to pursue or even what kind of drug candidate they can bring forward. So, so one, definitely wanting to attract those people that, you know, are willing to have ideas and bring them to the, to the table. Um, tied to that is people who can really be effective communicators. And effective communication isn't just about, you know, being able to articulate an idea. It's being a good listener. It's sharing an idea uh, in a respectful way, disagreeing in a respectful way. Um, again, these are all traits that help foster an environment of collaboration um, and, you know, innovation. 
And so, you know, second, they really have to bring that communication skill to the table. Um, and and third, um, you know, they, they have to uh, understand that we spend more time at work than we do at home, and so it's important for it to be a fun uh, environment where people can bring their whole selves to work. So it definitely has to be people that um, are open to kind of bringing their whole selves and their whole true real self to work. Um, but also, again, creating an environment that allows others to do that as well. So we often speak to executives who have a moment or a personal or work-related experience that clarified their journey and maybe impacted who they are today. Could you each share yours with us? Sure. I'm, I'm happy to, to tell a quick anecdote that I think touches on uh, a number of the themes that, that we've uh, discussed today. It's probably a bit more humorous than serious here, but it really highlights the fact that there is a pretty persistent expectation about what a manager of a, a biotech company looks like. And and I don't fit that typical mold. I'm, I'm quite a bit younger than the average biotech executive, and I definitely look it. I, don't, I can't grow a beard, and so we'll always look uh, quite a bit younger than most. And so when I was on the roadshow for Eidos' uh, IPO last summer, I found out that many of the investors that were meeting bankers to join in the pitch meetings. And so given that I look more like the 22-year-old bankers that were uh, around and, and introducing us to the in investors, I was asked to leave at least a half dozen times when, when stepping into these uh, investors' offices. So obviously this isn't something that I feel discriminated against, but it, it really does highlight that the investors and, and most of the people in this field have a pretty narrow range of the appearance that they expect when you say they're the executive team of a, of a biotech company. So mine is very clear. It was a very pivotal moment in my life. I had spent my career in personalized medicine <clears throat> at that intersection between biotech and, and therapeutics and um, doing personalized medicine for HIV and AIDS, and we knew that that would be the future of um, oncology treatment. And I was on a flight to Europe as a senior executive within Roche and um, got deathly ill, came home, went to the ER, and it turned out I had stage 2 colon cancer. So I had emergency surgery and chemo. And that was the moment where I stepped away from my career and said, I'm going to create a search firm and change the way cancer is treated in my lifetime. And I had, you know, intended to do that a few years earlier to actually migrate into search, but it became a real evident a moment where I could actually uh, grab that opportunity when I was um, taking time away from work and create a company. And it's been just the passion project of my life for the last 10 years. And this is Sabrina Marchucci-Johnson, and I would say one of my current mantras, uh, kind of along the themes that we've been talking about, is if a door opens, walk through it. Um, a point in my personal and professional journey that solidified that for me was in 2002. I was at the time Vice President of Sales and Marketing at a publicly traded company. We were in the midst of a transition and the CEO asked me to step into the Chief Financial Officer role. And while I have my MBA and as an engineer I'm certainly comfortable with numbers, I'm not an accountant by training. And it would have been really easy to say no, that I was not qualified. Um, but I decided to be bold and say okay, and I ended up spending nine years in that CFO role and loved it. And it was certainly a pivotal point in my career. Um, I would never be where I am today professionally without making that move. 
and nor would I be who I am as a person, someone willing to be daring and, and take risks on myself and on others, were it not for that experience that taught me it's okay to take a leap, um, even if you don't have all the skills or all of the answers. And it was definitely that really pivotal turning point that, for me, I was able to look back on when I was making the decision around following more of my passion, which is women's health, um, and starting Dare. And it was really that experience that I that I think a, a lot of leaders uh, and women, in particular, moving through the professional ranks, hopefully have an opportunity to have, where you get an opportunity to maybe recognize that you can move into a role or take a leap or do something bold um, without necessarily having that perfect resume or that perfect set of experiences to support it, that you can still be successful as long as you're willing to ask questions and be tenacious and and then the flexibility to recognize that there's often several paths to the same destination. That's great. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you all for being here with us today. We really appreciate your insights for our listeners. And now it's time for this week's Leadership Tips from Pharma Execs. I'm Cameron Turtle, Chief Business Officer of Eidos Therapeutics, and my leadership tip is to decentralize decision-making, to let your team make their independent decisions and only come to you with their challenges rather than try and attempt to control the decision-making yourself. My name is Robin Toff, CEO of Toff Group Executive Search, and my leadership tip is to be confident and apply for a job, either internally or externally, even if you only have 50% of the qualifications. There is no ideal candidate. There never has been. And for the next five to 10 years, you're in the driver's seat. I'm Sabrina Martucci-Johnson, CEO of Dare Bioscience, and my leadership tip is be genuine and authentic at all times. Authenticity is what will allow you to connect with your team, your peers, your collaborators, your investors, and that connectivity is what will get you the best input, the best solutions, and will foster innovation and bold ideas. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this week's PharmExec podcast. We are always pleased to take you behind the headlines, provide expert tips from industry leaders, and give you an inside look at what the PharmExec staff is working on. Remember that you can always find us on the web at farmexec.com, on Twitter at farmexec, on Instagram at farmexecutive, and on YouTube. The views expressed on this podcast do not reflect the views of farmexec, its parent company, or our advertisers. For editorial questions, please email editorial director Lisa Henderson at lhenderson at mmhgroup.com And for sponsorship opportunities, please email group publisher Todd Baker at tbaker at mmhgroup.com.